welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for this evening, and uh, it's a it's it's a very very exciting for me kind of uh, friends of the show episode because tonight I am joined by um, Aaron West from Elsra. Um, and Elsra, we've mentioned them before and we seem to keep on mentioning them a lot of times because they've created or they're responsible for one one of mine and Colin's favourite board games which is Catacombs which crops up from time to time. You might have heard it in previous episodes mentioned once or twice but um, first of all, hello Aaron, um, thank you for joining us um, this evening. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. I'm um, de- delighted you're here. Um, and uh, tonight's episode title is called uh, Let's Not Get Lost in the Catacombs, Let's Just Have a Chat with Aaron. For anyone that's joining us for the first time, is the reason that we do this show is because there's quite simply not enough um, podcasts about board games. And secondly, there is, uh, there's probably, after the end of this, there'll probably be too many podcasts where I'm just speaking like a giddy little schoolgirl is somebody I have a lot of respect for in terms of what they've created. So um so Aaron, are you are you well first of all? How how's your day been? Because you're in you're in um well, you're across the sea in Canada, aren't you? That's right, yes. Um yeah, in a city that's near Toronto, uh, Ontario, okay. Canada. Okay, okay, okay. And are you doing well? Are you well? Reasonably well, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to get the um, the, the Kickstarter completed. That's yeah. to be expected. Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the things that I'm sure our listeners will be interested in is to maybe step back a little bit in the past and find out kind of maybe some of the key influences that that got you where you are today. Um, we always, as I say, we like to have a look at the past take a peek at the present and maybe have a little jump into the future. So maybe if you want to tell um, everyone listening just now uh, a little bit about your history uh, in in the kind of the world of cardboard. Well, I've been involved uh, with board games for a number of years now. I had a number of friends that uh, found it interesting and enjoyable to buy different titles and experiment with them. And through the course of playing these games, we discovered that there were aspects of them that we felt that we could improve. We felt that there were um, some new directions that we could that we could take the hobby in, and we felt that this may be a, a worthwhile pursuit. And mm-hmm. myself, I have a more entrepreneurial type background. I've been involved with various startups, mainly on the software slash IT side of things. So okay. this was an opportunity to work with physical bits, if you like, as opposed to digital bits. And so that was how uh, we came to that point to say, okay, let's see if we can make something and contribute. Okay. And beforehand, what was your kind of your, um, do you remember kind of what board games kind of, obviously everybody talks about the the original classics. Um, Did you play a lot of board games growing up yourself or was it something that you kind of got into later on? Yeah, growing up, I would have uh, played the 
typical mass games like Monopoly and Operation, Waterworks, um, those types of titles. Uh, later, I became involved in uh, Games Workshop with Warhammer 40k, okay. and then moved into the tabletop games as we understand them now with um, a Game of Thrones and uh, the original Mary Nostrum, for example. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Uh, Age of Empires, um, the one that had the, the Microsoft-related license. Yeah, uh, yeah, C- yeah. C- was... Cit- Citadels, um, Kalos, uh, which oh, I would yeah, say okay. is probably my favorite game. So, Okay. And did that... Um... I mean, have you got quite a big collection yourself? I mean, be being creative in this side. Have you? Is your house full of board games? <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm <laughs> believe personally in in a very minimal lifestyle. So actually, for me, the less things that I have, the less physical things, the better. So, right. um, but I do have uh, friends, colleagues that that maintain our sort of group's library, if you like. And usually when I back a Kickstarter or something, I just donate the that Kickstarter into uh, into the library. Oh, right, okay. So you're not, you wouldn't be the guy that if we were having kind of like a video conference, you wouldn't be the guy with like the wall of board games kind of behind you then? You no, just, I, I just think I have one. about maybe five or six of them. Really? Okay. That's about it, yes. They must... Are they the kind of? They must be quite special then, if they've if you've hung on to them. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I yeah. mean, I have the deluxe edition of Kalos, for example, so I'm uh-huh. not going to let that go. And then just a couple that, um, you know, I just happen to have acquired somehow. Okay. What's um? What's Kalos about? What do you What do you do in it? Well, Kalos is, in my opinion, pretty much one of the best worker placement games ever invented, and. I think really helped to popularize the the worker placement genre and what you're effectively doing in it is looking to build a castle at the behest of the king of the town of Kalos and there's a interesting dynamic that unfolds as the game progresses through its three phases and the the way that the the players are forced to interact with each other and pay very close attention to the board for opportunities to mm-hmm. um, to achieve the the objectives that the, the game sets for you. Mm-hmm. I sometimes find that in worker, sometimes in worker placement games, when you're just for the for yourself, you're building up resources for yourself, and whether you're having like a a one player game or a seven player game, it doesn't matter because there's sometimes very little kind of interaction between people at all. Um, and that, as I say, that can, um, like you know, it can it can sometimes lead to you know you feel like you've won, but you've not really won against anybody. Kind of except you, I guess, except yourself. <laughs> kind of going forward. I mean, when you um, when you start to get involved in um, when you start to get involved in kind of developing board games yourself. I mean, how many different games did you? develop how many different games did you i guess make prototypes of before you settled on developing the first one we had about three ideas if i remember correctly and it didn't take us very long to decide that catacombs would be the one that we would focus on Mm -hmm. where did you get the idea of it i mean you mentioned it briefly that 
it was something kind of different. But what what was the thing that kind of made you think, well, this is this is the direction that we need to go in? Well, the three of us, my two mm. colleagues, uh, Ryan Amos and Mark Kelsey, we it was I would say a collective idea that we that we had that we wanted to take a fantasy theme mm. and marry it to a dexterity mechanic yeah. to convey in a very physical way and a very skillful way the idea of traveling through the dungeon had you looked at any other kind of dexterity type games or were there not that many at the time that you could reference i believe the one that we did look at though that wasn't me personally was pitch mm. car all right okay yeah i've heard of that that's um so are you flying around a track um, That's correct, yes. Exactly the same using kind of little wooden, I think it's wooden car pieces. I've seen I've seen a couple of pictures of it <laughs> um, because looking around kind of like dex, dexterity games that seem to be um, cropping up. There's um, there's a f- another game I've seen, Flick'em Up, which I think is a Western-themed kind of dexterity game. Yes, that's um, correct. Flick'em Up was released um, considerably later after yeah. catacombs okay okay so when you went down the first the first release of catacombs yes um was there a large team to build it was it just the three of you that kind of were dealing with the art and the manufacturer and everything kind of how did how did everything kind of come together well there was a lot of learning involved okay <laughs> it was just the three of us and uh-huh. looking back we we felt that we got a number of things right. Uh, uh-huh. But it was very, from very, I would say, typical Canadian humble beginnings. We thought, well, we're going to use our own funding to do this. Uh-huh. And we're going to execute this idea and do our best within the limited budget that we had. And we were expecting really to have a lot of copies left that, you know, five ten years down the road we would still be trying to give them away at christmas so to speak right hey like look at our board game kind of thing people getting a christmas card through the post and getting a big box kind of attached to it it's like oh there we go it's our 14th copy of catacombs and it's like why didn't you say something to aaron it's like i don't want to (laughs) <laughs> I don't the spare room's coming on well. We're building furniture out of these catacomb boxes, but did it? I mean, it must have done quite well then. I mean, I take it, it from what you said. It 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 did, and it, we were able to harness some social media media channels and board game mm. geek and uh, mm. those types of um, uh, forums. And it, but at the but at the same time, it really spread via word of mouth via the fans. People yeah. got a hold of it, and although maybe some of them didn't particularly care for the art, they were able to see that there was something very new and very innovative here. And they really took it and ran with it and spread the word about it. And we did a very, very conservative small print run to start with. And yeah. within a few months, we were sold out. And that's when we felt that, you know what, maybe we've got something here. How I mean, um, the expansions for the original game mm-hmm. for a while were were some of the only few ones that you could you could get hold of. Um, 
Do you, I mean, do you yourself have a full set of the original kind of Catacombs game somewhere? Or is it the other guys that, that have them instead? No, I have a full set. I yeah. believe I've got a complete open copy and a complete sealed copy of the different yeah. printings that we did. Because we did three printings in total of that uh-huh. original version and they all sold out quickly. And then, of okay. course, there were three expansions that we that we did. So, yeah, I'm pre- pretty sure I've got a full set of everything. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you, um, obviously being involved in the creative process, did you, after playtesting and everything, does it still get an airing? I mean, do you still play the original kind of catacombs yourself or, or is that just something you've left to one side now? I actually don't have an awful lot of time these days to... To, I'm sure to, not to, at the to moment, play the anyway. thing, really. So I'd like to be able to just play uh, the, the third edition one a bit more frequently. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't have a lot of time to play the original one at all, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, what's, I mean, what's fascinating is the, the kind of the, the artwork side of things from the original one. If you look at an original kind of um, catacombs box, it's very kind of um it is kind of fantasy looking it's very very kind of dungeons and dragons looking um and then you moved on to completely change the artwork now um i'm sure a lot of our listeners are are aware of it but there'll be some people that that um that aren't aware of it so i can what happened what was the what ha- what caused the kind of the massive change in direction and some people would say for the better to the for the in terms of the artwork itself well, the artwork was inspired by the original Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm not personally very familiar with that. I think I've played mm. Dungeons and Dragons once before. But, yeah. the, but my two colleagues, they were much more familiar with it. And they suggested that given the limited artwork budget that we had, that it would be a good idea to focus on that classic sketchbook type artwork that would Mm -hmm. convey um, something darker, serious, trying to bring out that that Dungeons and Dragons theme. Yeah, yeah. But when people got a hold of it, ultimately they told us that they were playing it a lot more casually and it was a lot more fun and that in a sense, that serious theme wasn't congruent with the experience that they were having. And at the same yeah. time, we had some artists on Board Game Geek that were releasing their own interpretations of what some of the characters could look like. And we had some early discussions um, with Quan Chai about yeah. the potential of working with him on yeah. a version that would incorporate the ideas that he had made publicly available and that were getting some groundswell of interest around that people responded positively to. So we got to a point in the development of the company where Mark and Ryan essentially said that they were happy with where they had gotten the product to, but wanted, in a sense, to take a step back and take a break from it. And they had their various reasons for wanting to do that. And and this was a very, very amicable process because I'm still very 
uh, close with both of them, and I've known Ryan a long time, and he's definitely one of my closest friends. And I can talk a bit more about how he and I, later in the show, are working together again on some new titles that he's doing some new designs for. Yes, so, so, <laughs> please. <laughs> so my point is, is that uh, I said to them, I would like to take this. I was always, like I said, the more entre- entrepreneurial of the three of us. I want to take this. I'd like to put it on Kickstarter with your blessing. And I would like to use the more uh, accessible style that Quan Chai was bringing to the table. And when you first saw the artwork that Quan Chai was doing, mm-hmm. did you did you instantly kind of did you get a feeling about it? Did you look at it and go, "This guy is on to something"? Because this is you know maybe this is where we're needing to be going, or um, did, you know did did it work for you straight away, or did you take a, did it take a little bit of convincing for you to think, well, maybe we should move move kind of forward with this. Well, we like to think that we're a company that is very, very open to other people's ideas and feedback. Yeah. When I was seeing some of the comments there, it seemed that people were very, very receptive to uh, this this new style. So I thought, well, okay, let's, in the interest of growing the, the brand and the product, let's take it in this more fun, light, and accessible direction. And I yeah. knew that that was going to be controversial. And I, I knew that we would end up upsetting some people that really, really wanted us to stay with the original art. My feeling personally was that we, in a sense, painted ourselves into a corner with it, that there wasn't a, <laughs> okay. a lot that we could really do there. No. That, no, this, no. that to reach a broader base of people, it would be better if there was more color, a bit more accessibility, a, a bit more of a, a playful style. And that's what I wanted the Kickstarter to ultimately answer. Is is this something that, that people would find desirable? Is this something that, that they would want? And the mm-hmm. answer from the, the first Kickstarter that we did in 2014 was... Yes, this is yes, this please. is what we yeah. like. Now, having said that, while the Kickstarter was running, there were there was four, possibly five threads all going all at once on Board Game Geek about the artwork controversy. So, <laughs> so you um, got you 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 produced a controversy. I would I would say so. Yeah, there were people <laughs> on both sides of the camp saying either that they liked the new style, the new direction, and then some of the people saying that they they preferred the old style mm-hmm. I was it was never my intention to to wake up in the morning to upset people it life's too short for that it you know I, my hope was that the people that liked the original catacombs the mechanics and the presentation would ultimately be able to appreciate some of the new innovations that we brought to third edition and hopefully fall in love with the artwork and be mm-hmm. able to mm-hmm. learn to accept it. Well, does the, I mean, does the board game kind of, does the entire board game hobby need kind of more serious artwork? I mean, there seems to be, um, you know, every kind of dungeon, a lot of dungeon-related um, kind of games that I see seem to go down the kind of the serious guy with the muscles and, 
not wearing many clothes, <laughs> you know, and the same with the female characters and, and wizards in big robes, all looking all looking like they have a serious job to do and not looking like this is your career, you're obviously not having an awful lot of fun going about decapitating orcs and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, but I mean, in, at the end of the day, though, I mean, when you put when you put the uh, that the catacombs the new version up on Kickstarter, it did it did very well, didn't it? It did, yeah. We we didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. and we were very very happy and very grateful with the response. Did you? Um, I mean, did it fund very quickly? I mean, was were you already past funding quite quickly within kind of um, putting the game live? No, what triggered the campaign accelerating Mm -hmm. towards the middle of it was when we agreed to apply the same artwork treatment, the same artwork upgrade, if you like, to the Cavern of Soloth expansion. So there was some feature slash scope creep there in the product, or sorry, project, Mm -hmm. where we said, okay rest assured we are not going to orphan Cavernous Soloth. Uh, we will bring it forward with the new artwork. And by the way, the, the stretch goals incorporated the, the Horde of Vermin expansion and content yeah. from that expansion was distributed between the, uh, the two titles. So everything came forward. And then you're like, yep, here we go. And and then it just funded and and funded kind of kind of very very well. Um, when I mean you've done you, obviously that that came in that funded you got that through manufacturing. Going forward, did you expect it to? Did you make? Did you go ahead into this kind of producing more copies for retail? Or were you kind of of the mindset, well, let's cover what we've done on Kickstarter and keep a little bit spare? Um, kind of what was the view with that? We made extra for retail. Okay. And how long did they last? We were sold out at wholesale in 24 hours. <laughs> did that surprise you? Definitely. I don't think there's very many <laughs> titles that sell through at wholesale that fast. We were no. literally rationing distributors, which is a very good problem to have. And yeah, I mean, how did that make you feel? Did that make you feel vindicated completely about the, the artwork decision and everything like that? Well, with that type of good news, I'm not really the type type of person that gets carried away with that type of thing. It was just, okay, it was just an e- another email in that, that day, and it was, of course, we're grateful for it, but at the end of the uh-huh. day, it's like, okay, yeah, that's 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 good. Let's get back to work. <laughs> and did you did you think about kind of reprinting then? Did that kind of cross your mind? Did you oh yeah, no, we were we were definitely on the square where we knew we would be doing a reprint. I just thought I was going to get a little bit more of a break before mm-hmm. thinking about that. Uh, I'm actually on a personal level, and I'm working on it. A bit of a workaholic. I haven't had a proper vacation now since February. 2014. Uh, so I've been pretty much working every, almost seven days a week, I would say, since that time. That's just not, it's not a good, all, all work and no play makes Aaron a dull boy. 
Well, I get down to the gym and I do my yoga. But, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. But as you said, you've not got an awful lot of time to do to do everything else. So did that with the success of the of that campaign? Did that then push it forward and say, okay, we now have to work on another project, or did you think, well, we now have to? Was the plan to do more stuff for catacombs? Was that already there to do, or had you thought about doing something completely different in the meantime? Well, in 2015 we had already put most of the finishing touches on the Wyverns of Wildmere expansion, which has been announced uh-huh. for some time now. Yeah. We decided that our next project would address some feedback from the community, from our mm-hmm. fans. Mm-hmm. And that led to us moving in the direction of producing catacombs and castles at yes. the same time that we were working on the Catacombs 3rd edition reprint. So Mm -hmm. instead of releasing the Wyverns expansion for Catacombs 3rd edition as the next Mm -hmm. project, we decided that we would do Catacombs and Castles instead. Okay, okay. For people that haven't played Catacombs, Mm -hmm. and there's probably a lot of people that have seen the artwork and hadn't, and, you know, because of how rare it was... um, Mm -hmm. What would you? How would you describe it to people? If somebody's sitting down, they've got a box of catacombs in front of them. How would you? I mean, we've talked about it on previous episodes, and and I am completely biased to say I think it's fantastic, and Colin thinks it thinks it's fantastic as well, and uh, he's quite um, he's quite upset he can't be here tonight, <laughs> but. It's the time. It's, it's just the time difference, you know. And, and my wife, my wife would be upset if you know if she woke up in the middle of the night and Colin's still here because um, she certainly got annoyed the last time. But um, how would you explain it to somebody that's you know they've got the catacombs in front of them? What are they expecting when they're opening up that lid for the first time? It's a dexterity dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. one in which you're controlling a set of heroes versus. Mm-hmm. The, what we call the overseer player and you're adventuring through the various rooms of the, the catacomb collecting treasure in order to upgrade your character by visiting some of the special rooms like the tavern and the inn the merchant healer for the final showdown with the, uh, the catacomb lord in the center of the, uh, of the dungeon and it's all got to do those these fingers. <laughs> Your dice skills don't count because the dice there's no dice. That's correct. Yeah, there's there's no Absolutely dice. No it's dice. it's one hundred percent dexterity, and it uses what we call our dexterity game system, which forms the foundational rule set for Catacombs Third Edition. And that same foundational rule set is used in Catacombs and Castles and in our other titles. So if you're familiar mm-hmm. with how to play Catacombs, that's just one implementation of the Dexterity game system. Yeah. You'll, you'll be familiar with something like Catacombs and Castles because the same rule set and the same iconography is used. And it's, yeah, and it's very, very easy to play. I mean, one of the things that we we said on our, on our episode was that I could potentially bring somebody that hasn't played a board game before into the game 
and they could be easily playing it within a couple of minutes because it's a case of, okay, you're going into a room, these are the guys that you're facing off. How do I go about, you know, taking down these um, taking down these Denzians of chaos or whatever? It's like, well, you take your disc, that's your character, and you go ahead and you flick it at the bad guy. And if you hit the bad guy, you'll do some damage. Or you'll get an item like, say, like a fireball, or you'll get an extra animal or creature that you can have. And if you again, if you want to, if you want to take down that bad guy, you flick your disc, and if you hit them, then game on, you know that kind of thing. So it's very, very easy to, to kind of, to kind of pick it up and go ahead, um, and enjoy it, which is, which is the the fun, the fun thing about it. When, um, we, obviously you go talking about going to move on to um, catacombs and castles, um. One of the things we said when we we spoke originally was um, the price of catacombs because it became, it's became before the Kickstarter was launched, you know, recently, it became quite a quite a rare item. It was always seemed to be fetching, well, in the UK, I mean, it was quite easily it was going for a couple of hundred pound quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, was that did that feel like a double edged sword that there was this fantastic game out there that people weren't able to get their hands on? Um, was it a surprise that it was so sought after by for yourself? I would say relative to the demand that we know is out there for it, it wasn't that surprising. It was mm-hmm. more an unfortunate situation, I would say, because I don't want people to have to spend a lot of their hard earned money on 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 our products. It, it it would be much, much better that they can just buy it as a normal retail product or back one of our Kickstarters. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, that the secondary market exists for those people that if their time is precious and they have the resources mm. to be able to do it and want to, to, to buy it using those mm. channels, then that, uh, that avenue is available for them. Mm-hmm. Is that a strange thing? Is I guess, um, is it a strange situation to be in if you see something that you've created which is selling for an awful lot more money, but knowing that there's a chance that you you wouldn't have seen a kind of a penny of that money except for the original sale? I mean, if somebody, you know, if you're selling it on to a retailer for $40 cost, just as an example, and then they're going on to sell it on for $200, is it kind of weird seeing something kind of accelerate so much in value, but at the end of the day, you've had the benefit of it kind of once when it's bought. Or, I mean, but what you've said so far, it sounds like you'd prefer it if <laughs> that doesn't really, it's not something that you would necessarily think about, I guess. I, I, I don't think about that. Um, mm. I'm very grateful for the people that buy our products and support mm. our company. Mm. I don't feel entitled to that money that's there in the in the secondary market. I mean, it's it's just people paying for an an object in the physical world they really really want so yeah okay um yeah i'm i i feel it's something i don't necessarily have any control over beyond getting some more copies into distribution so that people have an alternative yeah 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 that's it's a very uh, no that's a <laughs> it's a very gracious answer as well um moving into catacombs and castles then you you said you felt spurned on to kind of get this version of the game out kind of maybe quicker than 
you'd wanted to. Did that? Is that what contributed to you having to work so hard over the last couple of years, um, having to kind of get the campaign ready and, and and ready to ready to go? Did it raise the raise the pressure? I guess. Well, we were already experiencing some pressure going through mm. Kickstarter school in a sense, mm-hmm. learning how to run and fulfill a, a campaign just from the, the first one. And we wanted to ensure before rushing back to Kickstarter that we mm-hmm. had crystallized all of that learning and took the feedback that we received to run the Catacombs and Castles Kickstarter differently. And it's just and what, a continuous learning process for, for Kickstarter because it's a moving target. It, people's yeah. expectations change. So that's what, what was the biggest lessons what was sorry what was the biggest lessons you learned would you say how expensive international shipping is <laughs> okay shipping to where in particular because one of the things that we've spoken about recently is trying to get a game shipped from the united states is just seems to be cost prohibitive <laughs> at the moment um, in terms of how much it's going to cost, um, what I mean has it excluded you from wanting to ship to certain areas, or kind of in your planning for this Kickstarter? Well, we were already using the regional depot approach in hmm. the the first uh, Kickstarter. However, yeah. we wanted to fine tune that approach for the next one. So we know that we would like to be able to sell it and to just about anybody that is interested in it. And we have even more people from different countries across the planet interested in the Catacombs and Castles campaign, for example. Unfortunately, yeah. though, there's a, there's a high cost associated with that. It's, it's just so expensive to ship at, 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 at a box across the planet to a specific location and taking into account all of the the different fees that uh, that we have to we have to pay I mean it it can very very easily be that the shipping can be more expensive than the product itself very very <laughs> very very easily no I've experienced that myself recently in a um, I've mentioned it I think on an episode that's that's maybe just out or it's just to come out where I looked at getting a pre-order on a game where the game was $75 and the shipping was um, $130. And that was the cheapest option. <laughs> I could have got it I could have got it sent slightly quicker and it would have been almost $200 to get it shipped over to the to the UK. And in that type of thing it's like mm, I'm going to have to it just becomes kind of an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Where was was there a country where was the furthest place away that wanted to to get a copy of catacombs and, and, and castles that you've had to kind of say, mm, it's going to have to wait. We actually haven't excluded anybody yet to right, my okay. recollection. Uh, we know that there's people in Peru, for example, Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brunei was new this time round. Um, okay. You really learn your international geography pretty quickly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty good on that to begin with. Um, <laughs> Where else were we shipping? Uh, Southeast Asia is at a fairly 
large fan base for us. Oh, yeah. We saw Hong yeah. Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, Singapore, Malaysia, mm-hmm. um, obviously moving into Australia, New Zealand. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Saudi Arabia, um, <laughs> really? Israel. Okay. Uh, I think there was one in Qatar or Bahrain, one of those. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of worldwide. That's, I mean, you are kind of totally, totally worldwide. <laughs> yes, at this point, we're pretty globally focused, yes. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. Catacombs and castles, how does it differ from the kind of the catacombs kind of core game? What would you say people can expect? Well, first of all, when we, let's just review catacombs. You can approach it as a very, very casual game, what we sometimes say is a beer and pretzel game and you just work your way through uh, the, the, the dungeon. Um, other people say, no, I'm going to almost treat it like a, like a puzzle. And how can I optimize the resources that I have on hand to complete each of the rooms to get, get to the end and, and ultimately prevail? And there's a third broad group of people that like to treat it like almost like a narrative type experience that they want to fill in some of the gaps about what the adventurers are doing as they're working through the game. Yeah, yeah. One of the if you look at all three of those types of use cases and I could really talk about a fourth too, the the people that want to take it and do custom mods and treat it like a sandbox toolkit where they can come up with their own ideas and, and be very, very creative, which is something, by the way, we've always encouraged. So there's, there's, there's three plus one interactions that broadly you could talk about with, with, with catacombs. One of those things that that is not highlighted, one element that's not strongly highlighted is the competitive player versus player element. Yeah, And This is something that we wanted to address in Catacombs and Castles. We wanted to have a a team-based experience where you did not have to have the overseer player asymmetrically, in a sense, entertaining or interacting or controlling the monsters and other uh, characters for the, the hero players. Yeah, yeah. So this takes catacombs in a very, very different direction. And one of the things that we also wanted to do with catacombs and castles was to provide a dynamic board. So in catacombs, Mm -hmm. you have double-sided game boards and you have obstacle pieces that are fixed in those game boards. And it functions a (laughs) lot like pinball oh i remember those i remember those um obstacles and they were the bane of my life because i couldn't flick straight anyway but having those in the middle of the board just caused me one headache after another which colin will with a laugh and a (laughs) smile and a swing in his step will tell you quite happily of the multiple tales where i just was not able to move a wooden disc in a straight line so <laughs> but yeah but moving so you yeah competitive kind of play you were saying in the the, the way the dynamic the board is more dynamic so how now does you, that work so now you have these large 
blocks, if you like, different shaped blocks that you mm. place directly on the double-sided catacombs and castles board. So the one side is the castle side and the other side is the, the catacomb side. And you can choose which side okay. you want to play. And each side of the board has icons on it where you can situate these obstacle pieces. Yeah. Uh, and this forms a 3D playscape, as we call it. So you have still our barrier wall system, our Ellsworth wall system around the outside to prevent the pieces from land going off the table and landing on the floor. You have the yeah. board that defines the play space, and then you have these three-dimensional obstacles that are placed on uh, on the board. And where in catacombs, the focus perhaps is more oriented towards the melee-style shots, where you're yeah. bouncing or ricocheting your hero character off of the obstacle pieces. In Catacombs and Castles, it's more like paintball. That's how some people have described it to me, where okay. you're moving and then you're shooting a ranged ranged disc. So it's more like a move and shoot and you're using the obstacle pieces for cover. And this gives, All a, right, okay. this gives a very, very different play style. It feels very, very different when you're playing. And because because the, there was, um, there was like there was, as I said, a thing I mentioned. There was the ability to buy certain items in the original catacombs, which you would then not, you would then attack by flicking like a fireball at somebody else. So is it, is it a little bit like that then? That's correct. Yes, all of the heroes in catacombs and castles have ranged attacks. Oh, awesome! And so by default, they have the capacity to use um, those those range discs and in some mm. some cases they don't have any melee capacity at all so if they hit an opposing um, hero's disc they're not necessarily doing any any damage unless they use that that ranged attack and some of the ranged attacks are are new uh, to this set um, but you're that's the type of dynamic that you're having in the in the two modes that you're you're playing in, so you're either playing in the team mode, where it's uh, usually three heroes against another three heroes. You can actually take it up to eight, and you can have four heroes versus four heroes. And then there's mm. the, the what we call the boss mode, which is similar to the encounter with the catacomb lord in Catacombs Third Edition. Yeah, yeah. Where you're collaboratively working together to attack the catacomb lord's forces. So this um, provides an, uh, an introductory experience to what a full game of Catacombs 3rd Edition may be like. All right. Brilliant. But with some new rules and some new twists and some new features. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, um, when you ran that campaign, you ended up um, funding... Well, I mean, your goal was $25,000 and you, you romped in at $360,000. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you have a lot of these kind of like stretch goals and additional items kind of already planned out when you did that? I mean, were did you go and set? I guess did you go and set the twenty five thousand dollar goal knowing that you would or were probably going to easily kind of hit it, or was it kind of well we know if we if we sell this if we hit this goal we'll make this number of games and that'll be it kind of thing. Because you, you you kind of really romped home in the in the in the funding side of things, and that's something that of course we are very very grateful for, and we don't take for granted. 
to answer your question, we mm. developed a model where we were working to have the core catacombs and castles set along with the stretch goals be as affordable for people as possible. Right. And we thought that based on this model that people would go ahead and 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 follow that general path that we had suggested to them because we deliberately didn't say very much about the catacombs and castles expansion that we were offering at the same time which is part of the huntress reward level we said you know what let's get some feedback we had the ideas for it we knew what we wanted to do with it but let's just see where people take this let's 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 find out and essentially uh, the way the campaign went was almost 180 degrees opposite to what we were expecting. Big surprise. Because <laughs> we, we found that people were very, very interested in Catacombs 3rd Edition. They, there was still yes. a lot of demand for that. Yes. Um, there was a lot of demand, again, for the original stretch goal material from the first campaign that we made some decisions about. And because we wanted to be respectful of our backers. We had said that that material was Kickstarter exclusive and would not be released to retail. Yeah. Our, when we put a general request out to our backers, most of them, and we thanked them for this, were very sanguine about us saying, okay, you can go ahead and, and, and reproduce that material again. We did do that. However, we changed the format. And in that way, we respected, I feel, what they received originally. So what I'm referring to, of course, is this Crypt of Showrath set. That Crypt of Showrath set had a box. It had yes. the, the content and it had these two cloth bags. Yes. And what we did this time was to say, you know what, we're going to break down those elements and separate it. So some of it, the, the two original optional add-ons became Resurrection Pack 1 the, the the crypt content became resurrection pack two, and the game yeah. board became resurrection pack three, and this well these sets will not be exclusively for Kickstarter only, because given the demand for them, we are going to put them on our uh, Elsra.com store exclusively there, and that's where the Siege Defender set, which is the stretch goals for Catacombs and Castles, that's also going yeah. to land there. And okay. the Keystones and Keeps expansion for both Catacombs and Castles and Catacombs yes. in 3rd third, third Edition, it'll also end up on Elsra.com. So they're not going to go to retail, but you will be able to um, purchase them from us directly. And for the people that purchase from us directly, we do obviously make more money and we we do appreciate that. You're really helping support us by, by doing that. And we're really grateful for that. <laughs> I mean, are you? I mean, we, as a, with it's now funded and now in production. Um, were you surprised by the the sheer number of backers that you ended up having on the campaign overall? Pleasantly surprised, yes. <laughs> and did that bring with it its own kind of um, challenges as well? Then, because now you'd gone from. You're now having to provide all your, you know, various different kind of guess versions of the stretch goals to, to numerous different backers. Was that a kind of a 
was that a kind of a, a pleasant thing to happen or were you kind of like, oh, we're going to have an awful lot of work to do now to get this kind of complete? I would say no. We, we This time round, we really planned for a lot of different possibilities. And yeah. so we were we were ready. That's good. That's good. Where I mean, um, where are you now in the in the process at the moment? How how are things going? There's obviously there's been updates. There's been updates going out. Um, how where are you in the kind of the process now to to the fulfillment side of things? Well, I think if we were only producing catacombs and castles, that's one yeah. skew. The, the 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 fulfillment date of November of this year was, in our opinion, realistic. We had all the artwork already before we even started the campaign. There were, of course, some elements that we were still fine tuning, mm-hmm. but we felt that we would be in pretty good shape. Given the demand for Catacombs Third Edition, and also for that. Kickstarter exclusive material, we felt that we had a mandate to continue to improve and listen to feedback regarding Catacombs 3rd Edition. And that we had a pretty strong mandate to do that given the number of backers that were getting both sets. So yeah. I made a I made a conscious decision to say, you know what, let's slow it down a bit and really develop and deliver a quality product. And where we are right now is doing the proofing for all of these products because, of course, it's not just one English <laughs> SKU or stock-keeping unit that we are working know, with. Yeah, it's about yeah. 10 of them. And then we also have our German language partner, Schwerkraft Verlag, who's producing yeah. the German language version of catacombs and castles we have him in the mix as well so it climbs to about 12 skews when you're all said and done uh between two companies and that's a that's a lot of work because we probably could have just said well you know what catacombs and castles just do the bare or sorry catacombs third edition rather could have just done the bare minimum yeah and just hit print yeah you could have just got like did a control c Control V, and then just sent it off and said, "Right, we'll just do exactly the same that we did, kind of did the last time as well." Um, but I kind of I don't know people's attitude to Kickstarter. I think that um, as long as you've got the constant, as long as you've got regular communication there, and as long as the communication is thorough, which I think you guys do on a you know you guys do on a regular basis, and also. I think you know if you said to me it's going to be if it's going to be into like kind of like six months after the day I don't think you're going to get too many people with kind of ruffled feathers I think there's been there's been far worse offenders out there in terms of kind of delivering kind of end product and I also I think that there's a there's a level of excitement with people also being able to get their hands on the original catacombs kind of third edition as well, three point, I think you call it 3.5 officially, don't you? Actually, um, that was something that started on the internet. Um, this <laughs> right, idea <okay>. of 3.5, <laughs> people seem to be, 
they, this seems to be what they refer to it as. But we we don't refer to it that way internally. But um, I can understand how people might conceive of it like that. I think they want to kind of have it as did did you get it from? Do you have the original one from the original Kickstarter? Yes, I do. Or do you have the newer one from the from the Catacombs and Castle one? Oh, you mean three point five? Yeah, okay. <laughs> if it makes them feel better, then that's then that's kind of, I guess that's kind of fine. Um, <laughs> um, have you? I mean, when are you likely to kind of get your kind of own copy of the full finished game? I mean, do you already? I take it you've got prototypes left, right, and center, but. How long will it be before you get the kind of the, the I guess the kind of the finished product back so you can have a, a quick play around with it? Well, that's really dependent on the factories in China. So mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing is that the Chinese New Year this coming year is early, and of course the workers at those factories they deserve a break too. Um, that's totally oh, yeah. acceptable. So yeah. they will start going home to spend time with their families probably some, sometime in mid-January. So it's all going to depend on how much of the uh, products are completed by that time. This is something that we were very, very aware of, that uh-huh. we were hoping to have everything finished before the Chinese New Year shutdown. At this point now, I'm not so sure, though we have prioritized Catacombs and Castles <laughs> and the Stretch Goals and Keystones and Keeps expansion so yeah. that potentially we could be fulfilling that first because I'm still waiting to find out how many containers all of this is going to take. So if they've completed all of Catacombs and Castles, um, we may be able to start that That may be able to sail and then we can start that fulfillment process. So, But at this point, I'm not... Um, I'm not 100% sure because although I'm in regular communication with the factory, we're still going back and forth with the the, the proofing process at the moment. And with 10 SKUs, yeah. it's it's yeah. very, very complex. And you run into challenges like they, they found something, for example, with some, with some font deformation issues. So we had to yeah. spend some time you know, fiddling around with that. It would have been helpful if we didn't have to deal with that. But we did, and we worked through it. Um, but what I do my, my best on is to maintain regular communication so that we can turn things around to the factories very, very quickly. So I'll sometimes stay up late at night just so that I can be available to, as the decision maker to let them know um, if they have a question which direction to to go in and and what is acceptable and whether they have any you know questions or clarifications that they need or something whatever like that so how many excel spreadsheets do you actually have <laughs> oh a fair number yeah fair number yep is it i think it's currently more than about 12 at the moment because of the different skews Definitely, and there's different spreadsheets and other tools oh covering different aspects of the production. So, yeah, is it are they multicolored? Sometimes, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you forget. I mean, what this is the thing that I think a lot of people that back a Kickstarter and they're going, "Where's my update?" And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I take it after you've you know you've been working a fifteen hour solid day, you've been spending seven or eight hours of that staring at the same font again and again and again trying to get proofs off and everything like that you know putting you want to you know it's like you want to put together a proper update and not just hi guys how you doing there's no news it's the same news as kind of like 
kind of like last time. Mm-hmm. And I think is 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 I think it can be quite easy for people to think, well, um, I've been waiting six months for this. When am I going to get my game? They forget that for a lot of people, um, the Kickstarter funding is the funding for the game, and it's not just a case that we're you know we're just doing it to see how many how much money we can kind of uh, we can kind of raise. Um, with with the level that you've that you've funded your previous Kickstarter, has that given you kind of like stability for the future? Then I mean, has that allowed you to kind of plan for a little bit into the future as to what the the kind of the next projects are going to be? Well, in our first campaign, we were actually fairly unlucky uh, because what happened was Kickstarter Canada requires that you raise funds in Canadian dollars. And right. shortly after the campaign ended, the Canadian dollar plunged by about 20%. All right, and, that's, okay. and that's a very, that type of currency instability is very, very difficult to plan for. No, no, absolutely. So no, no. that was completely out of our control. And mm. that in conjunction with the rest of the, the Kickstarter learning that we were going through, um, I would say we... We're very fortunate that we were able to get everything finished and get everything uh, delivered. We also were unfortunate in that that year that we were doing the fulfillment, there was a major DHL strike. All right, okay. So there there was a situation where uh, there were several backers that in Australia, for example, that didn't receive their copies and there was no explanation in terms of the tracking as to where they were. We'd sent them. Mm-hmm. And so I had to reach into my own pocket personally and send yeah. those copies to those people because I was hoping that their kids, you know, a lot of them were families, obviously, those kids would have the opportunity to play their game over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, just as they were receiving their copies from Canada, the copies that we had sent from Europe showed up. <laughs> now, some of them were in pretty precarious condition, Yeah. Uh, but of course, that represented a pretty major expense uh, to, yeah, no, to make yeah. that happen. So there's lots and lots of variables that can and usually do, um, you know, work against you. Like when we had our first cont- container land in, in the U.S., because one came to Canada and one went to the U.S., we had a major, major dock check. Uh, people that are familiar with how these things go, like they'll probably be smiling. But basically, you can have it where the container gets ex- inspected at the dock, or it can be moved to secondary. When it gets moved yeah. to secondary, you've got to pay for the cost of moving the container to secondary. Then oh they can go and do whatever they want. You know, they're usually, they're not usually just x raying it at that point, they're normally opening it. And they're going to be disassembling some of your pallets and expect, inspecting cases and things of that nature. And all the people yeah. that are crawling around the container doing that, you've got to pay them for all of their time. And then, of course, you've got to pay for them to pack it up again and move the container back to the, um, the yard again. And, you know, we got stuck with probably about a $3,000 U.S. bill for all of that. Whoa. And again, that just takes right money right off your bottom line again, right? So yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, these are costs that you have to anticipate but you know when people are back in kickstarters 
you know, it's to be expected. They're not going to know about all this logistics complexity that you've got to deal with. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of the reasons I ask these questions because, you know, I, th- I think some people are fascinated by, you know, you're not just a case of backing something, giving something money, and then it happens. I think people are, as time goes on and Kickstarter matures as a platform and a funding platform, I think people are interested to find out, well, actually what, you know, what are the steps kind of behind it? You know, what do we have to do? I mean, there are also people who are interested in doing kind of, um, I guess, kind of kickstarting them, their own projects, um, because I think, uh, well, I probably speak for myself, but I think that a lot of people that play board games have a couple of ideas kicking around in their head themselves that, you know, the dream would be to, to eventually kind of get that, get that out of their mind and onto onto some proper kind of cardboard. I mean, for from your point of view, if somebody you know, if somebody came if somebody came to you and said, Okay, Aaron, what would you say are the first what would you say are the three most important things I should consider? I've got my Kickstarter, it's you know, it's not a dexterity game, it's a you know, it's a card game with miniatures. What you know, what would you say are the three most important things they should maybe think about um, before they press that kind of go button on Kickstarter? I would say definitely be familiar with the platform. Right. Back some Kickstarters, mm-hmm. understand the mechanics of the platform, and mm-hmm. understand what the expectations are. People yeah. are going to expect you to be professional. They're going to be ex- expect you to be transparent. Okay. They're going to expect you to communicate clearly and okay. to answer their questions. Okay. So I think that's 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 very 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 important um, that you're go you're going to be on the hot seat and they are going to have the right to know because they do where where we are with the process and you you have to be ready to deliver bad news to them. You have to you know there's going to be bad news in every kickstarter campaign that that's just yeah. the way it is like that nothing runs perfectly smoothly no, um, no you know the 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 companies that run in quotes very very smooth campaigns they don't really need kickstarter anymore they're they're using it for different purposes now so understanding what that benchmark looks like mm-hmm. in terms of where you'll be situated as a more independent creative versus the large companies that are using it. That's also important to consider as well because people from those that are used to those companies that run those large, very well-publicized campaigns, they're going to come in, they're going to roll into your Kickstarter and they're going to have certain expectations. And some of those expectations might be completely outside of the realm of your budget, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things we found this time round and I know I'm just on number one, you said three things, but one of the things that we found this time around was that people really wanted a gameplay video. Well, you know, we were planning to do one, but we, we weren't expecting that strong desire to see one. Because now, in addition to the introductory video, we've really got to a point now, I think, where the gameplay video is pretty much an expected uh, yeah, no. thing. We did a great job, we think, on our main video for Catacombs and Castles. We took in a very, very creative and innovative direction, we think, and people seem to respond very, very well to it. But 
you got to think about all of your costs, which is the second my second point. So what are your mm. costs going to be? Because you're going to have upfront costs just to run the Kickstarter. And then you're going to have all of your costs involved in doing the production and the fulfillment. And then you've got to think about, well, what's my overhang of inventory left? How am I going to market that? Am I going to sell it directly to people? Or am yeah. I going to uh, seek some kind of distribution arrangement. Um, and there's questions around that. So this is the second thing is definitely about the, the, the costs. The, the third thing I think is to really understand that this is, that this is not something that's easy. It's very e I think it's tempting to look at the Kickstarter process like people are suddenly showering you with money and showering you with praise, and this is a wonderful thing. Free money, right? Well, it's not free money. It's really a form of debt because they are, the backers are providing you with funding, their money. They work hard for it, and you can't take it for granted, right? Mm -hmm. They're choosing to back you over a hundred other projects that might be active at any one time. Yeah. And then from there, there's almost a contract to say that you're going to manage the project effectively. You're going to wake up every day and it's going to be the primary focus of your life to do your best to deliver for those people. So if you have a proclivity in a sense to laziness, this is probably not the type of place no. for you to spend your time. If you're not details focused, make sure you have someone on, on your team that's willing to look after the details because yeah there's going to be a lot of details and a lot of very granular decision-making because when you're, th th there's a, it's easy to put together something. Um, now I'm saying easy and cautious, cautiously. It's got to easy to put something out. You know, there's factories out there. The, the, the creative tools are there. You can kind of splat something out if you want. But the yeah, question is, yeah. is, is that going to have the quality? Is it well tested? Is it going mm -hmm. to stand the test of time? Is it going to build a community? Is there going to be that back-end demand for it? All of these things um, you know, feed into that because ultimately the objective here is not about receiving a lot of so-called free money. It's about being prepared to work as hard as you can for the people that are believing in you and in your vision to deliver to them the very, very best product that you could possibly make within the budget confines that you have. If, um, with what you were saying with the bigger companies, if there was no Kickstarter, would would catacombs and castles not have a chance to exist? I mean, was is it the case that you needed the Kickstarter to, to in order to be able to make the game? Yes, we did. Definitely, okay. because uh, through the learning that we went through with the first Kickstarter, mm -hmm. um, we were pretty much, in terms of the like the the, the end point of that. Um, let me put it this way: we didn't make any money. Right. Okay. So, because of that factor, the two factors, the precipitous drop in the Canadian dollar. Yeah. which really, really hurt us badly. Yeah. And 
the the high cost of shipping. Yeah. Um, and we had well, so I many mean, international yeah. people that you know it, we just didn't we didn't price our our shipping appropriately, and that was a that was a major learning point. If yeah, you don't price okay. your shipping properly, and you'll get pushback about this, by the way. I mean, people seem to think you know like that because a multi-billion-dollar company like Amazon can offer free shipping. Well, anyone can, right? Well, it's not that way at all. <laughs> Amazon That's is losing money no. all the time on their shipping. Mm, yeah. They're subsidizing it. It's an illusion. Yeah. Shipping is very, very expensive. It's much, much more cost-effective to sell goods to someone in a store. The person is responsible for transporting themselves to the store. They buy the product at the store. They pick up the yeah. product. They leave, and they go home. We have our big box yeah. stores here where basically they're just like warehouses, and you're literally like Costco, for example, you're buying the product right off the pallet. They're not even having to worry about even displaying it properly. It's just yeah. literally like a like a warehouse that you let people come inside and pick the stuff up themselves. It doesn't matter how big the box is, how much it weighs. They're responsible for getting it in the back of an SUV or 4x4 or whatever to get it home again. But when you're talking about e-commerce and the logistics involved, sure, you don't have those fixed overhead of a, of, of a store, no, staff and things no. like that but you know the the cost of shipping which by the way continues to increase we just got our letter from ups for example costs are going up again another four percent this year fedex has just announced you know like right on the heels of ups's increase that they're going up by another four percent they're going to do theirs as well yeah that's no, right no. so we base catacombs and castles on the rates that we were getting from ups in 2016 there's now, a, again, a cost involved in saying we want to take a bit yeah. more time to develop the, the, that third edition of Catacombs, listening to that feedback, working to improve it, ensuring that mm. we are delivering a quality product. But now, of course, we're going to be taking a 4% hit when we use UPS to fulfill it in 2017 because the rates will have gone up. I mean, what's, what's happened over here in the UK is because of the, the, positioning, of the positioning of the pound against the dollar, it's meant that, um, well, look at it this way: when when you had released the the 129 Canadian dollar kind of pledge le- pledge level, which was castles and catacombs in the catacombs third edition. Yes. Um, that would have been, I think, that works out about 99 US dollars. Mm-hmm. And then at the time that would have, when it was out, that would have worked out round about sixty, sixty-seven to sixty-nine pounds. Yes. If you had done the campaign this month, then that same pledge level it would actually be, um, it would actually be a, it would almost be ninety pounds to get exactly the same kind of pledge level. So that's kind of where exchange rates are fit in the UK. Well, that's so exactly it. A, I mean, this is exactly what we encountered parity. too, right? Yeah. Because the price of oil dropped that year and the Canadian dollar yeah. is a petrocurrency. It, it yeah. dropped in, in tandem with it. Calgary yeah. got hit very, very hard. The oil sands uh, projects all got hit very, very hard. And the, the Canadian dollar suffered as a result. And these currency swings, they can, you know, like one or 2%, fine. But mm. when you're talking 10, 20, 30 percent, that's mm. really, really hard to plan for. So we mm-hmm. appreciate the fact that our backers in the UK are staying the course with us and, and um, are you know, com- committed to the project. We appreciate it because we, we've experienced these currency swings. We know what it's like. Oh, yeah. We, we, oh, get, yeah. we get it. Believe me, we get it. And <laughs> you know, the, the reality of it is, is that the, 
the, the pricing for catacombs and castles and catacombs in this campaign is very competitive. Oh, yeah, no. It, oh, my it's, goodness, It's yes. very, very competitive. Oh, don't take me as being... Com I'm not complaining. No, I know you're not. <laughs> I'm just saying that people <laughs> might not realize that. The, the listeners no, no. might not realize that. It's very competitive. Yeah. I mean, no, those, no. those wood components in catacombs and castles are extremely expensive. Uh, yes. You know, there's th those wood blocks that make that 3D board, uh, you know, it look, might look like the catacombs and castles comes in a smaller box, but at the end of the day, that's pure solid wood there that's being used to, to have the weight so they sit on the board. You know, that, that, that's expensive. So, and it's going to be heavy to ship it as well because this mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're at. I think the last time we weighed the white samples, we're up at about fourteen, fifteen pounds for the entire oh. set. If you got the matriarch set, for example, it's about fifteen yeah. pounds. So it's pretty. Is, it's pretty heavy. That's pretty. That's pretty. Pretty good going. I mean, it was interesting that um, in a conversation I had with Mantic um, a good couple of episodes ago that they were actively chasing to go down a a kind of a retail distribution model as opposed to continuing with Kickstarter kind of in the long in the kind of the long term. Mm -hmm. Just because like what you said, you know, a campaign, yes, you fund a six figure campaign, but you still end up you then get six figures worth of problems, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was easier if they had the backing to be able to put something out. But yeah, I mean you made an important point about the bigger companies that do put out, here's our latest campaign, they get funded by an awful lot, and then, you know, they do it kind of like three months later with their, their kind of their latest IP. And it has raised the bar in terms of, again, something you said about things like gameplay videos, and people aren't going to put up with kind of like simpler hand drawings. They want, you know, really good artwork. They want a really good layout. They want kind of lots of stretch goals. They want, you know... The, the expectation I think is a lot higher that you know Jimmy Joe just can't put together a couple of graphics in a very simple video and expect to to kind of get get himself funded kind of nowadays um I mean moving forward say catacombs and castles is is out the way I mean have you you mentioned earlier on in the episode you mentioned earlier on um that you are kind of looking at other projects now. Yeah, so, definitely, yes. We have a full product pipeline, so to speak. Are you moving away? I mean, as, as far as you're concerned, after Catacombs and Castles kind of goes out and after, you know, the, the expansions and everything go out for, for Catacombs itself again, are you looking at moving away from that into a new IP or are you going to be quite happy to jump in with the occasional expansion for it? Now that you'll have a fairly decent, I guess, customer base. No, our intention is to continue to actively support catacombs while there's the demand and the interest in that. So we have a lot of ideas as to where we can take it. So, for example, um, we have a new uh, title that I've, I've put together called Catacombs Conquest. And I teased the cover for that maybe about a week ago on Twitter, just on the okay. Elsewhere Games Twitter. And what that looks to do is with Catacombs and, and Castles, you've got our deluxe team experience in a sense. You know, like I don't want to use the word 
deluxe frivolously, but it, that in a sense it's a it's a it's a bigger, broader brush strokes with all the things that are that are in it. And then yeah. we've got our Catacombs Third Edition Dexterity Dungeon Crawl. But we want to develop some more entry level titles. And that's what Catacombs Conquest looks to do. It has a set of discs and it has a perimeter wall, but all of your the all of the dexterity element now is driven by a deck of cards. So you might have the Team Catacomb cards, and I've got the Team Castle cards, and they're both balanced, and we're yeah. drawing those cards, and you can you'll you'll see the, 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 the catacombs and castles characters on those cards, like the ones that people are starting to learn more about and their histories and the narrative and how they all fit together because mm-hmm. people have communicated to me that they, they find that interesting. So I might have my five cards, you've got your five cards, and you play a card and one of your two character discs, so you'll take a character disc one, character disc two, and you're, you're alternating between those two character discs, but that disc takes on the persona of the card that you choose to play. All and, right, okay. And so... What's great about this is that we get to, expansion-wise, if people like this concept, we can just give them new cards with new characters and new things that they can do, but the discs remain the same. So you, we, give right, you a, okay, we give you yeah. a set of range discs, and we give you these character discs. You also get the obstacle discs, and those obstacle discs right now are represented as the ancients. So the ancients sit there, and they act as the obstacles, but they can move around. And you actually get the opportunity to move those obstacles, because you basically you're going to play a card as your character one, then you get to move an ancient. So you get to see where your opponent is potentially going to go, and maybe move an ancient using a rush shot to thwart that what they're what they're going to do, but the thing is, you don't really know what they're going to do because it's all hidden. You're, you're going to see what card they're they're going to play, so you don't know what we know. The cards are equal between the mm-hmm. two decks, but we don't know what they what they might have in their hand right at that particular time. So so yeah, go ahead. This is good. No, no, I'm just going to say this is exciting. Well, um, we think so. There's it, what's nice about it is is that you can have the the, the catacombs experience using with a fully defined gameplay area. We, we give you a set of die cuts that you actually build this perimeter wall with. It, it doesn't stand up like the catacombs third edition one. Instead, it lays flat on the table, and you kind of build it, build it out, and then you've got mm-hmm. your two characters that start in either corner, and you're d- using the dexterity game system as directed by these cards and it's designed to be in a very very nice affordable package and a small box for people and to be honest with you it's 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 a lot of fun to play like you can play with two or four players because if you're playing with two they you use both the characters if you're playing with yeah, four yeah. each person okay. controls one and you you draw <coughs> some extra cards in that particular instance but it's actually a lot of fun and I, I actually have prototypes for this and um, I enjoy playing it and we we, we think as well, that there's the opportunity to uh, offer uh, a, a rubber mat that you could unroll for this particular product. We, we, we have some really? test ones at the office, for example. Uh, our friend, our friends at Jasco, you mentioned them earlier with the, when you were talking about Mega Man <laughs> Pixel Tactics, for example. They yeah. make they make these mats, and they've been yeah, we were having a chat in the kind of before. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they were gracious enough to give us some of their their mats for testing purposes. So we think it works. Uh, quite quite well, 
Um, so that's one, uh, Catacombs Conquest. The other one um, started life as an, an idea from my colleague, Ryan Amos, who had developed independently a card game that had some interesting and innovative mechanics to it. And this is something that we don't think we've really seen before. Now, of course, I'm not fully aware of all of the, the card games that are out there, and there might be one esoteric one somewhere that people might say, oh, well, he doesn't know about that. But to mm-hmm. my knowledge, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, don't think there's anybody that's doing something like this. But this, is, this, this does not have a dexterity component to it. It is a, it's a pure card game, but it no. uses the Catacombs IP. And again, it is designed to introduce people to the Catacombs world and the Catacombs artwork and some of the characters and to serve as a signpost to one of our other products. So the entry-level dexterity one yeah. system, if you like, in the form of Catacombs Conquest, or if you like yeah. the team idea, Catacombs and Castles, or if you like the yeah. dungeon crawl, Catacombs 3rd Edition. Okay? So, and in this game, you're playing as one of a catacomb lord. So we kind of turned it around so it's not sort of like what people would think that you're, you're playing as a hero. No, instead, you're playing as a catacomb lord and you're trying to take control of the catacomb so that you can set up shop and wait for those heroes, possibly in Catacombs 3rd Edition. So I'm oh, sure people okay. will do this. They'll, yeah. they'll play this yeah. game to work out which Catacomb Lord they're going to use in Catacombs 3rd Edition. So, but anyway, so what you're doing with it is, mm. is that you have a Catacomb Lord and you have a set of monster cards. And there's a combat card deck which has numeric values on it. And you're drawing those, uh, you get a set of those combat cards. But the combat cards are unique in that you have a sense how good the other player's cards are by this fuzzy information that's on the back of the card. So if it's value 1 to 4, it has 1 star. If it's value 5 to 8, it's got 2 stars. And if it's value 9 to 12, it has 3 stars. So I roughly know if you've got, say, like 2 single stars, Mm. 2 double stars, and perhaps a... uh, like 1 or 2 triple stars, you've got kind of an average hand. If you've got four triple stars, well, you're looking pretty good. And there's a catch-up okay. mechanic where we randomly get hands at the beginning of the game for the first turn, but then for the next round, it's the person that's the farthest behind that gets to choose which hand that they want. And they can do that because they can get a sense about which one is, has the potential to be the most effective. So in the game, I'm recruiting monsters. I have my set of monsters. So for example, if I'm playing as the behemoth, I would have access to all of the monsters from catacombs that um, that the behemoth is, is associated with. So it uses the same five monster families. So you have your blue, oh, mon- right, yeah, okay. your blue monsters okay. for the mythological family and your green monsters yeah. for the dungeon family and uh-huh. uh, the, 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 the brown monsters for the vermin family, etc., etc. So I'm, I, I recruit a monster and everyone's doing this at the same time. And if I can't afford a monster, I always have my familiar monster that I can that I can use. Okay, and there's some. I won't get into some of the, the, the rule intricacy, but basically, what you're doing is you're putting your monster forward when it's your turn to do so, and then all the other players, all the other catacomb lords, have to cooperate to defeat your monster. So what's interesting about the game is it's very subtle. Where you've got um, there's there is direct interaction. 
but there's also this competitive and cooperative dynamic that takes place across the course of the game. And it's very simple. You're looking to put in combat cards, and if you exceed the, 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 the monster card strength, then you've, you've beaten it. And the person that, in a sense, inflicted that, that killing blow gets to keep the monster as a, as a trophy. Okay? And the person, of course, that survives all of this and has the most trophies at the end wins. They win. And it's designed okay. just to be a quick, light card game that you... It's, not, it's supposed to be a complete experience in the box. You get a lot of content. It's not going to be something necessarily that there's loads of expansions for. It's just designed to put the idea of the catacombs world in front of you in an innovative, fast, fun-to-play card game. And if it didn't really work out for you um, it, during one game, it's like, no problem. Just like many other card games, we basically shuffle out the card, shuffle the cards and deal them out again, and we just play again. And it's just designed to be nice and quick and um, just highlighting some of these interesting mechanics. Uh, and when, when can we get when, 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 when? Okay, so, <laughs> just... so basically we would like to do the Kickstarter for this in January. Uh, it, is right, that, okay. it is that close because what we are hoping is that, well, we're hoping for two things. One, we're hoping that the backers of Kickstarter, oh, sorry, Catacombs and Castles will understand that, in effect, when while we're doing this particular Kickstarter, that we're very far along in delivering the Catacombs and Castles one. We're yeah, also I mean, you've made that clear in your updates. I mean, you know, it's fine. And, it's fine for me. <laughs> and then we're also hoping we we can't one hundred percent promise this, but we are hoping that we will be able to print this pure card game here in Canada. And, oh, if, okay. and if we can do that, we don't have all of these long lead times in getting the product shipped over from China. So it would mean to say that we could do the Kickstarter, and we're hoping, if things go well, that we could get it fulfilled in, in pretty short order. We, yeah. we would then like to be able to do, again, speaking in an idealized world, the, the Kickstarter for the Catacombs Conquest product. And then, again, early next year. And finally, we know that people are really, really interested in the Wyverns product, and we would like to bring that out as well. Because all of these products have been, they're, they're at the point now where they're, they're pretty close to being complete. And, you know, we're just finishing up the rule books and putting some finishing touches on and fixing things up. Yeah. But conceptually, all three of these are, are done. Like, I've been working on that card game probably for about 15, 16 months now uh, in terms of all the, like that's meeting maybe on a weekly basis, going through all of the iterations yeah. of it, doing all the testing of it. It's very, very well tested now. And we, mm -hmm. we didn't want to take any chances on that because it's our first pure card game. We didn't want to just pump something out. It's, uh, we spent no, a lot no. of time on it. And Ryan has done a great job in uh, keeping all the, the rules together and, and uh, you know, his his assistance has been has been valuable there. It's been useful. You sound very very excited about it, and I do love hearing people talking about kind of like new projects that are involved because you can actually hear, I can hear the excitement coming down the line from Skype because, uh, and I'm sure I mean they sound they both sound kind of extremely interesting, especially the I mean the card game. 
It'd be excellent, especially if you get the same artwork. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, the the both of these products that I've been talking about uh, use Quan Chi Moria's artwork. Now, having said that, we are mm. looking at sort of. If you don't mind, I'll speak about some things that are further out. But uh, yeah, of course. Ryan Ryan is working on a new uh, design uh, for a fantasy type game that will not use the dexterity game system. It, we've we've noticed that there's there's a there's a hole or niche in the market that we think that we can do um, something that, different, interesting again, but in a more traditional tabletop board game. And we I, I want one of those in our catalog because right now with dexterity games it's very very difficult to get on shows like tabletop because they can't control what's going to happen with a disc when they're filming so i'd like to uh, have the the capacity for folks to be able to talk about us and be able to refer to a more in quotes traditional product so that's one and that yeah that may use a, a different artist uh Mm -hmm. but also but keeping our uh uh, catacombs universe intact Uh, the other one that we're looking at is this idea of uh, an arena style game with squads of combatants so what you would have here is is that the, if you can imagine catacombs, there might be a team where they're all elves. There's mm-hmm. a team that are all trolls. There's okay. a team that is all skeletons, for example. And so the core set might come with four of these teams, and then there would be the possibility of buying army packs that offer you different capabilities and different creatures and we think that this will be the introduction of our vehicle rule set where you can have sort of things like tanks and battle wagons and things of that nature, transporting troops across the board and sort of going for a more epic kind of feel where it's not just individual um, PVP type play, but you've got actual squads and, you know, you've got some, some additional strategy that you can employ, employ that when you're using larger numbers of units. So this is a bit of a moonshot uh, project. Um, so we tentatively call this Catacombs Arena. And there's scope that this may have an alternate IP that this comes out under as well. So we'll do our Catacombs Fantasy version. There may be an yeah. alternate. There may be an alternate IP that it comes out under as well, using a different theme. Uh, so, but basically, that's the the other big project that um, that is running in the in the background, if you like. And so, um, I think there's. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I can easily mention that there is a a Catacombs and Castles expansion that we 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 know we can do and that introduces some additional gameplay elements that we felt might overload the core set of catacombs and castles so to to keep it accessible to keep it streamlined we felt it was better to offer that as some expansion content okay and this brings in the idea of of power-ups 
where you can power your character up and do these uh, these new types of sequences. Uh, that's one idea that we're exploring. And another one is where you have these crates that appear on the board and you can capture the crates and there's surprises and traps and things of that nature that can potentially come out of them. So this is exploring this whole idea of how how did robots end up in catacombs and castles? What is it about this part of the world that um, that that provided the genesis of, of that technology that they that, that they were able to work with? And what we find out is that it was really the remnants of this alien civilization that that left the, these artifacts that they've been able to, uh, to take take control of and 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 work with and you know, I won't say any more about it but basically you can imagine well what happens when that off world that so-called alien civilization comes yeah. back again what happens when they show up again and what is that going to do to you know people characters on the catacomb and castle side the good guys the bad guys maybe they're gonna have to work together it's all gonna kick off really and that's including my bank balance, which is probably going to... When it finds out about all these things you're going to be making, it there's going to be tears shed. I think 2017 is going to prove to be very, very expensive as far as, it, as, far as getting anywhere near Elsa games, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this sounds all fantastic, you know. Um, thank you for kind of like sharing that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of with us. That's... That's kind of good. Well, that's um, the first time in a lot of that for some of those products that I've even spoken about this publicly. It just seemed like a good opportunity to well, there to do you it. Go. So there you got you some go. exclusives Exclusive. there for you, right? Oh, there you go. There's a, we're gonna just yeah. Well, I'm just grinning now because it's like you know it's just kind of made. Oh dear, I'm gonna have to go and sell some stuff now. That's what's gonna happen, Aaron. Basically. <laughs> Well, don't sell the roof over from the top of your no, head. No, right? no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure there's cardboard that I pro- potentially don't use as much as I as I as I should do. That could possibly be, or I'll just work harder. I mean, it's worth smarter or one, or something that somebody clever would probably say to me. Um, in terms of, I mean, this sounds like a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out, and it sounds like uh, it's good to hear that. Um, is it Ryan's getting back into the? involved again it sounds like you guys have got some fantastic plans for the future if people want to stay in contact with you and keep an eye on what you guys are going to be up to for the next six months the next six years how would they do that where can we find you on the interwebs there's our website elsra.com uh, okay. it's possible for you to sign up for our newsletter uh, yes. there um we don't send a lot of newsletters, um, you know, so we're very con- conscientious, I'd like to think, about that. We don't like to spam yes. people. Uh, no. But also, I'm active on Twitter um, for the uh, Ellsworth Games account, so at Ellsworth Games, yes. for content that's more applicable to the Kickstarter campaigns that we're running. There's at Catacombs Game. And, All right, okay. And the odd time I do post... Um, and keep an eye on what's happening on my personal account, where maybe I share some of my personal experiences um, at Aaron West, 
A-R-O-N West on Twitter. We do have uh, some of the other social accounts too. Uh, we have a mm-hmm. YouTube channel uh, where we put mm-hmm. up our Kickstarter videos. We are cool. planning to make some more gameplay, uh, watch it play tutorial type content. So that's in process. Um, and of course, we are on, on Facebook too, where we'll duplicate some of the content that, uh, that we put up on Twitter. But most of... Um, most of the stuff that I just put out as little teasers, it'll it's usually yeah. on one of those two Twitter accounts at Ellsworth Games and at Catacombs Game. Well, we'll make sure we'll put a couple of um, we'll put some links in the show notes to to make sure that everybody who wants to keep up to speed can keep up to speed. Um, well, I mean, listen, big big thank you first of all for for coming on in the first place, Aaron. Oh, it's I my was, pleasure. Um, um, I've, this has been absolutely fascinating. I, I mean, as I say, I, as the more I find out about the inter, the um, the industry, especially in relation to Kickstarter, you you realise that it's not just the setting up the pledges and then letting it go. There is so much more work that kind of goes behind the entire creative process. So, I want to thank you for spending the amount of time that you have spent with us today, because you know, as you said yourself, you're a very very busy man at the moment. Um, so I really, really appreciate you coming on. There is obviously, um, there's only one, really one, well, two things left to do. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, um, it's not a problem. <laughs> um, the first thing is to obviously remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Aaron? I'm not sure. Are you? Seems like you might be I'm to me. Definitely no, no. <laughs> Definitely don't. I'm not having people take me down the street and saying I'm, I'm not a wizard. But no, we're not wizards. We're um, dexterity masters fighting through the catacombs. I can live with that. And <laughs> but again, thank you very, very much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I like I said, and I, we we do appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's. Uh... This, I can't think of a better use of, of our time, you know, like given the opportunity to convey some of what we're doing, uh, both to you and, and to our fans uh, and your fans that are listening. Oh, well, we'll, and we'll definitely make sure when uh, when Catacombs and Castles um, hits these shores that we shall, me and Colin shall be having a good chat about it as well. Um, but in the meantime, I think it's only left is to say goodbye. So in that case, um, it's, a, it's a goodbye from Aaron. Yeah, goodbye for me. Um, hope everyone has an enjoyable Christmas season. Happy New Year. Yes, absolutely. And it's a, it's a goodbye from me. Um, stay safe. Um, roll sixes. Flick discs very, very well. Better than I can ever do. And, uh, oh yes, and uh, to keep a track on us, search for We Are Not Wizards. You will find us across many, many interweb things. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube is potentially going to be very, very soon. But until then, goodbye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.